Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. Uniting coaches at every level of the game around the love of the game. We are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. Another week, another jam-packed show. Women's D1 College Soccer kicks off today, and we've got Anson Dorrance, the legend that is 40-plus years, 20-plus national titles. The head coach of UNC takes on Indiana. We've got Anson Dorrance to start. Indiana's hired a new coach, Erwin Von Benekam, coming over from Duke, now leading the Hoosiers. It's Indiana versus North Carolina tonight. We'll hear from both those coaches. Kevin Egan, the voice of Atlanta United, your reigning MLS champions. He's got a great take on all things MLS, including expansion. Always a delight. And two more members of our 30 Under 30 program. Gabriel Colon, who's with Richmond United, does a great job uniting the best boys players from Richmond Strikers and the Richmond Kickers. You'll like his take. And Kara Farnsworth, in her fifth season now as a head coach at Columbia International University, the women's soccer program, NAIA. Also, the daughter of Jeffrey Farnsworth, 25 amazing years as the awards manager for United Soccer Coaches. Such a great family. Kara, such a great coach and a great person. That's our show, and it starts with the legend, Anson Dorrance, after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Still managing your club or league on paper and spreadsheets? Go paperless with Team Snap. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, they have way fewer paper cuts. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com. Once again, here's Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. It's game day, the start of the 2019 women's college soccer season. And I got the best seat in the house as we get ready for tonight's broadcast between the University of North Carolina Tar Heels, without question, the most successful college team, men or women of all time, with the most successful coach, men or women of all time, Anson Dorrance in his office overlooking the new and improved amazing Fetzer Field. Anson, as a longtime United Soccer Coaches member and a Hall of Famer, it's great to be with you as we start another college season, but to be with you here on game day, if you could just explain to everybody listening to this podcast what we're looking at here because it's pretty special. Yeah, this stadium is absolutely extraordinary. Honestly, when they were building it, uh, I knew it was going to be a nice stadium, but I never thought it was going to be this nice. This is extraordinary. What we wanted to do was to take ideas from all the other exceptional stadiums that are out there across the country at a collegiate level and put together all the pieces that I thought would make a difference. Uh, One of the things I thought would make a huge difference is proximity to the field. And so the thing I didn't like about the old stadium we had was the track, the track around our field, because there was nothing sort of intimate about watching a soccer game. You were separated by this enormous track, And even though obviously we had some great fans over the years and some huge crowds, I never really felt like they participated in the game. Now this is a game changer. Uh, The fans are going to be so close to the field, they're going to be reach out and almost be able to grab the wingers. I mean, that's how close it's going to be. So we are going to be in a sort of a, a cauldron of noise, we hope. We're doing our best to sell the place out. We're doing our best to encourage the whole campus population and local community to become fans in this wonderful stadium. And this is an absolutely extraordinary 
uh, stadium. Uh, in the old days, of course, for anyone that knew our stadium, we had stands on one side. Now we have uh, basically uh, seats. We went from uh, benches to individual seats, and we've got them on three sides of the field. And even on that fourth side, it's an open end zone that we're going to put a tent up in there and, uh, you know, sell it out to local fraternities and sororities. Uh, the med school wants to come in there and have some sort of event. The dental school wants to come in. Our first event in that end zone is going to be the law school. Uh, the law school, because we've been disrupting their party, uh, their parking uh, for the past uh, two years building the stadium, my athletic director had a great idea to bring the uh, law school in and have an ice cream party for their students and faculty in appreciation for them uh, basically allowing us to disrupt their daily lives. And we want to be good neighbors. So in the end zone uh, for the Wake Forest game, which is when that end zone will be completed, we're going to bring the law school in there. So basically we'll have uh, fans on uh, all four sides of the field. We want to make it an incredible atmosphere, but honestly, I just can't believe how extraordinarily attractive this stadium is. More than 40 years coaching the women. You also coached the men for some time, nearly 25 national championships, so over 50% success for the ultimate prize as well. You just signed a renewal for five more years, which answers the question, you know, hey, are you going to keep on doing it? You're going to keep on doing it, Coach. I love it. Um, I love everything about uh, where we are, where we're going as a program. I love these kids. I had a blast last year with them. I'm already enjoying preseason uh, with this new team. Uh, I'm enjoying every aspect of my life here at the university. Uh, I was the convocation speaker uh, last night in Carmichael Auditorium and, of course, talked about the Tar Heel greats, uh, Michael Jordan, who, of course, finished his career in that building. Mia Hamm, who was in a Gatorade ad with uh, Michael Jordan, you know, years ago, uh, basically uh, during the promotion for the uh, 1999 World Cup. And there's so many things I love about working here. Uh, I have no intention to retire, and I'm very excited about what we're doing, but also where we're going. Exciting time for women's soccer right here, right now. As we get ready for this game against Indiana, we're just a few days removed from having Atletico Madrid here, Man City here, Lyon, the superpower, the North Carolina Courage. You even played Lyon, which started 11 World Cup players. The first two players off the bench played in the World Cup. And then you played the reserves, which had players that played in the World Cup. It just doesn't seem like a better time for women's soccer. Uh, Dean, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's kind of interesting as well for me, and my wife teases me about this all the time. I basically spent that entire World Cup on my couch watching every single game. And I got more exposure in this World Cup sitting on my couch than I did in 1991 when we won it. <laughs> and obviously with social media, uh, with podcasts like yours, uh, interviewing me about my experiences with one of the uh, original teams, uh, even Telemundo, uh, came into my office with their entire film crew and they did a one-hour piece on uh, the Women's World Cup uh, and it was just incredible the amount of exposure that we got uh, and also the exposure we got during the event. We had Heather O'Reilly there uh, in one of the uh, the seats, you know, analyzing each game. We had Kath, Kat Reddick uh, in the booth for some of the World Cup games. Uh, we had five kids on the U.S. roster including two starters and Crystal Dunn and Tobin Heath. We had Lucy Braun starting for England. And then, of course, we had uh, Serena Vigman, 
who was the Dutch uh, national coach that took her Dutch team to the uh, Europa Championship, uh, the Euros. Uh, and now, of course, uh, she was taking her team to the World Cup final to play against the United States. And so I had one call after another from, you know, uh, reporters from Holland uh, asking about Serena uh, to reporters from England talking about Lucy Bronze to obviously U.S. reporters talking about the U.S. run. So for me, it was just an incredibly enjoyable World Cup uh, that I was actively involved in just because of my connections with so many of the people that were also highlighted in this event. So for me, it was very, very enjoyable. You've been involved in so many tipping points for the game. Here we go. It's another tipping point moment for U.S. soccer on multiple levels. One, equal pay. Two, hiring a new coach. They just hired a new general manager. Let's start with the notion of a new coach. You were the first coach, won the World Cup in 1991, the first ever Women's World Cup. This is a big, big pick here for Kate Markgraft. Talk about how important it is to pick the right coach and why. Well, first of all, uh, um, she has, I guess, developed a pool of four coaches. And I looked at her pool, and immediately my respect for Kate uh, went right through the roof because she picked four wonderful coaches, all of them could do a great job for the United States. So it's not like there's just a tiny pool of coaches out there that can do a great job for the United States, not at all. And I think a part of what's expanded our pool is certainly the NWSL. And I think the three coaches that Kate highlighted in the NWSL would do an exceptional job for the United States. I have huge admiration for Paul. Obviously, he's local here. Uh, when Steve Malik, the owner of the Carolina Courage, called me up and wanted to have lunch with me one day, uh, he basically wanted to know uh, what he should do with the staff of the uh, Western New York Flash. Uh, and I said, hire them. Because I had really seen, you know, what Paul could do. I've had players that played for him. And I said, just go out and just bring anyone he wants in because you've got an exceptional coach. And then to see him up close and personal, um, he is a creator of an incredible environment for his teams here. And how do I know this? Well, we have opportunities to send our college kids into his environment. He was gracious enough to hire my volunteer assistant in Bill Palladino. He hired my current uh, top assistant's brother, who's a part of the Development Academy over there in uh, Cary, uh, to also be a part of his staff. He has, obviously, Scott Vallow, the husband of one of my favorite players in the NWSL, uh, in uh, Zerboni, who's an absolutely fabulous person uh, and player. And so there's an excellent coach that could easily step in and do a brilliant job for the United States. Uh, my kids that have played for Vladko think the sun and moon rises and sets over his head. They really like the man. He's personable. He's thoughtful. He's an excellent coach. He could certainly also be a fantastic uh, a coach for the United States full team. Uh, I have nothing but admiration for Laura Harvey. Uh, when my kids were playing for her, Kendall Fletcher in particular, she'd come back to visit her parents who, of course, lived over here in Apex. And she would come back. I would bring Kendall into my practices immediately. And I would say, Kendall, you know, what's Laura up to these days? And then Kendall would literally run the session. So she'd be here in the spring, you know, before her season would begin. She'd be in between her stint in Australia and playing in the NWSL. And then Kendall Fletcher would run a Laura Harvey practice for me, and I loved the stuff she did. I loved the way her teams played. 
she could also be absolutely magnificent. And I think if you're going to look in the collegiate ranks for a, a player, I'm sorry, a coach to bring into the full team, you can't pick a better uh, soccer mind than Mark Krikorian. For all the right reasons, his contacts abroad are extraordinary. He knows the game in a brilliant way, and I can testify to that because of the challenge we have in beating his teams. Uh, this year was a great example. We played them three times. They beat us in the two most important games. They beat us in the ACC final. They beat us in the NCAA championship game. And I've got nothing but respect for the way he prepares his teams and how extraordinarily effectively they play. Uh, so my measure of respect for Kate is off the wall because she picked four absolutely outstanding coaches. And honestly, Dean, between you and me, all four of them would do an amazing job. Uh, and um, I'm just really impressed with the homework that Kate did, but also for her choices. And now all of us are looking forward to seeing who she picks. Sounds like she can't go wrong then is basically No, she can't saying. go wrong. Okay. Those four would all be outstanding. All right. Equal pay. It uh, looked like it was all the way there. Now all of a sudden they pulled out. It's at a stop sign right now. You've got the floor. Your thoughts on what the women are pushing for? Well, obviously, they're pushing for the right things. I mean, equal pay in the right, uh, uh, is the right direction. Um, now, obviously, they've got to balance that with a kind of fairness because if the men are playing in a 80,000-seat stadium that's sold out and the women are playing in a 20,000-seat stadium that's sold out, obviously, the men are getting, uh, generating a greater revenue. So there has to be a balance uh, between what you're making as a national team program during a given year and what you're making as a national team player. But still, for per diems, it should be absolutely equal. I mean, these are basically employees of yours. So are you going to treat one set of employees one way and another set another way? So for per diem, it should absolutely match. But then in terms of fairness, it's based on, you know, which program is generating a certain amount of money. And then from that perspective, you can divide up those spoils. And so the issue that the women would have with the men that might be in a larger stadium with a larger crowd is, well, what are you investing in women's marketing? So you just, you know, sort of rolling out you know, a minimum amount to promote this women's game. So then you have a minimum crowd. So then what you have to decide to do is promote the women's game the same. So then the investment in marketing for a women's game should be similar to the men's. And then all of a sudden, can we build a women's population and fan base the way we've built the men's? So uh, this is obviously beyond my pay grade. I don't know what each team makes during events that are hosted by this team or that team. But I certainly think per diem should be absolutely equal. And then let's make everything else fair. For it to be fair, I think uh, we have to be transparent. So what are these teams making? Uh, what are we spending uh, marketing the men? Uh, and then from that perspective, I think all of us could very easily sit in an arbitration suit and say, yes, this is how much each team should be paid. Anson Dorn's never afraid to answer any question. NWSL now in its seventh year, it's going to stay around for a long time. Why, Anson? Why is it so great? Well, you know, we got to go back to Sunil Gulati, and I don't think his name is mentioned enough uh, in the success of our pro league. Uh, he could see that uh, the first two leagues failed, uh, and he could see why. And so he stepped in with a business plan that was absolutely outstanding. And obviously, he's got his own set of advisors, and I wish I knew their names to give them credit as well. But that business plan for the NWSL was absolutely outstanding. And the other thing I liked about it is he brought in our neighbors. He brought in the Canadians. He brought in the Mexicans. And he wanted to make this thing collaborative. And I think that's the sign of an extraordinary leader. 
Uh, you're not going to do these things on your own. You want to do these things in collaboration with your neighbors like he tried to do. Uh, and I think uh, he deserves a lot of credit. His fingerprints, in my opinion, were also all over that World Cup. Uh, he obviously picked the coach. Uh, he also uh, uh, helped design a league that our kids are thriving in. And I think uh, um, that's made all the difference for us. Uh, so um, for me now, uh, I think uh, uh, our, uh, our future in this league uh, has to be, uh, we've got to figure out a way again to market our league. That's the great Anson Dorrance talking about marketing NWSL. He'll have more on that at a later date as he gets ready to take on Indiana tonight to open the 2019 women's college soccer season. We'll be joined by Indiana's new head coach coming over from Duke by way of the Netherlands. You'll like him. And he's on when we return to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. It's not easy to be all of those things. You need help. And who better to help than an association of fellow coaches? Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. Or you can use promo code PODCAST, all caps, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, before the end of August and save over $25 off your yearly membership fee and enjoy all the benefits of a full member. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. It's game day. University of North Carolina going to play their first soccer game in their brand new soccer and lacrosse stadium, formerly Fetzer Field. It's beautiful. You just heard me talking to Anson Dorrance from the stadium overlooking this beautiful facility. And Indiana gets the opportunity to play the first ever official collegiate soccer game. And Indiana is led by a man who did great things just down the road from Chapel Hills. We're talking about Erwin Van Benekom, the new head coach for the Indiana Hoosiers. Now, Erwin, when he was at Duke, it was part of Duke's best four-year cycle in their history, boasting a record of 68-17-11 with a 29-6-5 conference mark. Duke excelled in the postseason as well under Van Benekom's guidance, going 13-3-2 and advancing to the third round or further in every season so everybody in this area knows Irwin oh so well now the Big Ten going to get to know him what a great hire for Indiana thanks for being with us coach thank you so much thanks for having me and uh, those times at Duke were so much easier uh, as an assistant coach now uh, now I got a real job <laughs> well you do and I tell you what t talk about opposite spectrums you got a guy who's coached over 40 years in the women's game as the top man <laughs> yeah. and now you get yeah. your first year so we love that kind of those differences as well so first off the assignment hey go ahead and play UNC in Chapel Hill in your first ever game as a head coach that's a tough one coach yeah you know uh um, I actually, when I when I got here, I added that to the schedule and or, or with uh, when uh, 
when when Ensign called me and and uh, and asked if we wanted to wanted to come up for the tournament, I uh, I'm like, there's nothing you know nothing to lose for us in terms of yeah we can lose the game and uh, we can concede some goals and and all that stuff, but in terms of the experience for for our staff for our players and. Uh, uh, I think it's I think it's the right fit in our schedule. Um, you know, if we just were going after wins uh, and you know uh, and, and a record, then uh, maybe we, we should have changed that a little bit. But uh, I, I think we're going to get so much out of it, um, the experience in general, um, but also you know playing maybe one of the maybe the best team in the country this year. That's so well said, and and I understand all those reasons. That makes perfect sense. You do actually have absolutely nothing to lose, and if you can somehow shock the world, that'd be a great way to to start as well. Either yeah. way, I think you win. Well said, Erwin. Well, talk about the the process. We've been having a lot of first year head coaches on the last few weeks as we start the college season, and here you go. You had success at Alabama, then you go to Duke, work under one of the all time great men and Robbie Church, and I'm sure there were other opportunities. Uh, what was it about this job at Indiana in Bloomington, such a wonderful city, that made you say, hey, I'm going for this? I think picking the right job at the right time is, is really, really important. You know, throughout the years and with some guidance of Robbie as well, of, of just, you know, picking the right program that, you know, it, it's like uh, I wanted to get an opportunity where not everything had been achieved already, and but that with a lot of potential. So the, the, the part of I think there's a lot of potential in this league um, and a lot of parity in this league in, in the Big Ten, as well as the university that, you know, with all respect to what's been done before, I, think, I don't think has achieved their full, full potential or not even close. Um, with the resources and the university itself, I, I think we, uh, you know, and, and this won't go overnight, but I think we can, we can keep developing this program into, into what we think it should be. And, and, you know, people always ask me the question, oh, with the men's program, having, having won eight national championships, uh, how are you going to do, you know, something similar? You know, I, I, for me, you know, the answer is always the same. It's like knowing that they have done that, that's great to know. Um, but women's soccer is a whole different landscape. But the university is the same. They have the same resources as us. They have the same, uh, the, the same university behind it in terms of academics. So uh, I think those components coming together, I think this was a, a, a great, you know, a great step for me. Brilliant. And obviously, uh, as such an important assistant coach to Robbie Church, you know the value of assistant coaches. Talk about how you went about hiring your staff. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty aware of my limitations. Um, and uh, I, I knew some really good people that, I, that, I, that are not friends of mine, but you know, might be becoming friends more now, but um, that, that I knew very well. And, and Bree Young was one of them. So we, that was my first hire. And I think he has a uh, a great understanding of the game, a great passion for the game. Which you know, the, the passion piece for me was the most important part. Um, that it, that it's more than just a job. There's a true love for the game, which uh, might be missing here and there uh, with a lot of coaches and players. Uh, so that passion piece was important, and I think Bree's understanding of, of of the physical side of the game in terms of how we're developing athletes as soccer players. Uh, the, the periodization in a, in a tough college season, uh, and then her, uh, you know, her ability as a player, the level she's played at, and then you know, just an understanding and passion of the game. And then I had um, our goalkeeping coach, Doug Storrance, which uh, was in the area, uh, really, really good goalkeeping coach with ties to the area, with ties to the university. So that was a, a fairly easy one as well. And we hired uh, Alex Ng, who's, uh, who's our video analyst. Um, his official title is, is director of ops um, slash video analyst. But we'll use him uh, as a video analyst for the most part. And then we have Emily Baston, who's our uh, 
uh, volunteer assistant coach, and uh, we don't like to use the, the term volunteer because he puts in probably more hours than any one of us. Uh, so we, we got a really good staff, five people that are full-time dedicated to uh, to improving our team and our, and our student athletes. So uh, we're super happy with them, and uh, we're all you know still gelling and, and getting to know each other better, just like our team. Uh, but it, it's been a great ride so far, and uh, looking forward to do this uh, uh, you know this this season and go through the, the ups and downs. And Irvin, what did you walk into as far as uh, how many players left from last year? How many players were coming in? How many players were you able to snag in short time? Maybe none. I'm not sure. Kind of paint a picture for us if you can. Yeah, so when I came in, um, so last year they probably had the best year in the last three or four years. Um, they went 8-8-2, eight, eight and two, had some really good wins. And I think from that group last year, there's six seniors that all started, uh, graduated. Uh, majority of the goals graduated. They scored, you know, I think, 30 plus goals last year, and and uh, 20 of them graduated. So, um, you know, 20 goals of, of those players graduated. So, uh, we're definitely uh, younger, but I feel like every coach in the country always says they're young. Uh, so I, I don't want to, you know, it's it, it just how it, how the how the process goes. But yeah, that's how we came in. A uh, bunch of uh, upperclassmen graduated. Um, there was a recruiting class of about. I think it was 11, 12 players. Now we, you know, we had some honest conversations with some of them, and they went in different directions. Um, which, you know, down the line, I think it, it was really hard to have those conversations. But I think uh, long term, those are uh, beneficial conversations for for those student athletes and also for us. And then we were able to to get a, uh, you know two or three players late um, through some connections that I had, and and we got a transfer from Wake Forest. Uh, she's a sophomore, so. I think we made some we made some strides and we we improved the roster a, a little bit, um, but we, we got a long way to go. Coming from the Netherlands, what was the appeal about the U.S. and particularly what was the appeal about coaching women? Because not only have you been coaching women as an assistant coach uh, at several great schools, but you also had success with Sky Blue FC. You know, one of the last times Sky Blue FC had success was when you were with them as well. What was uh, answer that question about coming to the U.S. and coaching women, coach? Yeah, so that was it. Wasn't like uh, you know, let me get on this plane and let me go coach women. You know, that wasn't my intention whatsoever. Um, I came to the U.S. to do some summer camps and just coach a little bit and have a good time. And uh, and and those those three months turned into 15 years now. So, um, it, and that kind of when I started coaching, I coached boys back in Holland and some really good teams and and good players. And some of them are pros now, and 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 they were awesome. But then I got to the U.S. and started coaching boys, and I'm like. These guys don't really, and you know, can't really play. With all respect, <laughs> they're not that good. Right. Uh, and they were running after, you know, after uh, soccer training. They were running to basketball and football training and baseball. And they had so much other stuff going on. And then I started started coaching girls in in New Jersey. And I'm like, these girls are dedicated. They're unbelievably technically. Uh, you know, the game is a little bit slower, so the technical piece and the technical piece comes out a little bit more. Um, but super competitive care about the team probably more than, you know, most boys and men do. Um, you know, I feel like if I look back at myself as a player, I, I cared about, you know, <laughs> my own performance sometimes more than the team. Um, and I feel with all the women that I've coached and, and the girls I've coached in the past, they, they care so much about the team sometimes a little bit too much. So that, and that just developed. And I think I, I started coaching on the girls' side and got a little bit of a reputation, you know, uh, got with Sky Blue and then obviously in the college game and, and that, you know, uh, sometimes I think, okay, what would it be like to to maybe uh, coach on the men's college side or 
or be an assistant in MLS or something like that. But, um, you know, coaching women is great. And, I, you know, we have a, a great group of young women here. And uh, I'm very fortunate to, uh, to, to coach them every day. And coming from the Netherlands, how proud were you of your country in the most recent Women's World Cup? Yeah, that was awesome. You know, a country of 17 million people uh, where in the last 10 years, you know, it's the fastest growing sport, uh, women's soccer, um, you know, to go from, you know, pretty much the size of New Jersey, the state of New Jersey, uh, um, coming, you know, to a World Cup and go to a World Cup final. That's, that's unbelievable. And how that culture of, of women's soccer has built in the last 10 years. And uh, I don't even know who to credit um, uh, that too, but, you know, just the, the culture in Holland and then, you know, people just stimulating women playing soccer more and more. And people coaching them, and, and it's unbelievable. It's so uh, you know, it's so uh, so good to see. We're here with Erwin uh, Van Vennecom. He's in Chapel Hill tonight to take on UNC Chapel Hill and Anson Dorrance. The game can be heard and seen on ACC Network Extra. I'll have the call along with Kyle Straub. Just a couple more questions as uh, we tie it all back in. I mean, you're facing a legend tonight, and you mentioned uh, working there at Indiana. I mean, you think about uh, two of the all-time greats. You think Anson Dorrance. Do you think the godfather, Jerry Yeagley? Now, yeah. Jerry, yeah, Jerry yep. Yeagley's son, Todd, is just just an outstanding coach as well and a solid citizen. Yeah. So you're, you're surrounded by legends there in Bloomington, right? Uh, I'm, I, had a, I had a conversation with uh, Coach Egley yesterday uh, about Anson, and uh, we talked a little bit. I think they have uh, a good relationship, a, a friendship. Um, you know, now they obviously go way back even, I think, in the terms of uh, – in, in the days of uh, when Anson was coaching on the men's side. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, first of all, unbelievable people and uh, – and uh, Todd and I have built a great relationship as well over the over the last couple of months. So um, happy to be here, happy to learn from them, and uh, you know uh, they're just great people. And uh, yeah, it's 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 fun to be around. At the end of the day, it's still just a little round ball, and anything can happen. I mean, what does it take to perhaps shock UNC Chapel Hill tonight, Coach? So I think nothing is impossible. I think it's going to be our toughest game of the year by far. Uh, we're obviously in a, you know two weeks into preseason, just like they are. But I think they have their culture in place and their way in place of, of how they want to play and what they want to do. And they got a great coaching staff with with, uh, with Anson and, 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 and Damon and, uh, and and Chris. So I, I think it's going to be if we have the best day of our lives as a team and, and coaching staff, and and they have the worst day of their lives. I think it's possible. Um, but you know, I talked about the experience. We're, we're not just going for the experience. We're, we want to get something out of this trip um, of us getting better as a team and, and, and us getting to know more about us. But you know, we're not just going to show up and uh, and let them have a great first game and, and opening up their stadium and all that stuff. We're we're going to make it as hard and, and fight as hard as we can and uh, try to stay in the game for as long as we can. And uh, you know, uh, we're going to be smart in, in the way we approach the game and. Uh, you know, we're going to make it. We're going to make it tough for them. Well, who knows, Erwin? As uh, Anson enters forty plus years, and you begin your first year, maybe you'll be forty years in Bloomington and build them into a power, just like the men's program. Wow. And we'll be talking about you the same way we talk about Anson. How's that sound? <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds amazing. I would. I would enough for that one. All right, Erwin Van Venecom, the new head coach for Indiana. So much success at Duke, and he takes on North Carolina tonight. Thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, Coach. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Dean. Thank you. It's MLS Rivalry Week. Atlanta United, your reigning MLS Cup champions. They could probably win it again. Kevin Egan, the voice of the team. He does so much. 
so much. He's fantastic. Kevin Egan is next. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. I want to thank Anson Dorrance and Erwin Van Benekom, the head coaches for UNC and Indiana Women's Soccer, respectively, for getting us started. Now pleased to be joined by Kevin Egan, a rising star. Got to know Kevin, worked with him at the Big Ten Network. He went on to do great things with BN. Now he's in Atlanta full-time. He's the voice of Atlanta United on Fox Sports South. You can also see him on CNN World Sport. You can also catch him on TNT and True TV as well covering Champions League Kevin Egan he knows so much about professional soccer all over the world and he joins me now rivalry week in MLS Kevin Egan great to be with you Gene Linky, what a pleasure, my old friend. How are you? I'm great. Always thrilled when you join me on the program as well, Kevin. And boy, what a whirlwind for you as uh, you left Miami, headed to Atlanta. You're around a great program, doing some great things. Oh, thanks. It's been a bit of a whirlwind in many ways because we, my wife, Megan, and we've got a, a little boy, James, who's seven months old. And it was kind of a last minute decision to say, right, let's go. Let's move from Miami to Atlanta. We love the city of Atlanta, such a friendly place and a booming city in terms of the entertainment industry. So we left, I left my position with BN Sports um, and we're here in Atlanta now. We're in an eight-month rental. We're looking to buy a house. So it's exciting times. It's, it's a difficult transition period, but I'm enjoying it and I'm enjoying my work with Atlanta United. And I've been doing some, a little bit of work with CNN, World Sport, as well as Turner and TNT and the Champions League too. So it's been a great joy and I'm very lucky to have some of the opportunities that have come my way. Yeah, and for sure, Kevin, one of those great opportunities is being able to work so closely with Arthur Blank, the fantastic owner of Atlanta United and the Atlanta Falcons. Saw you last week on social media doing a big announcement with the youth programs for Atlanta United, and he was right there front and center. He's such a gentleman, Dean. He really is, and his wife Angie was there too, and they're, they're special people, quite honestly. Arthur Blank, you know, in many ways he probably shouldn't know who I am, and yet he came up to me and he thanked me for being there. He said, really, thank you so much for taking the time and wanting to be here. And I'm thinking, you're Arthur Blank. You know, look what you've done for the city of Atlanta, and look what you've done for, for soccer in the city of Atlanta and the surrounding areas in Southeast. So it's it's a remarkable story, I think, Atlanta United. He continues to drive the team with his great ambition and his continued investment. Certainly a crazy season for Atlanta United. Uh, Their coach heads over to Mexico, new coach in, started off a little slow, but now, I mean, arguably the best team in the league. Talk about this season. It's been a roller coaster, to say the least. So Tata Martino, the most lovable character you can imagine, decides he's off to manage Mexico, as you mentioned. Atlanta United replaced Tata Martino with Frank DeBoer, who has a lot of similarities to Tata Martino in the sense that he is a well-known figure. He can speak many different languages, so he can jump in and out of Spanish uh, or English if he wants with the guys. But he comes from a different culture. 
And I think that was a big culture shock, especially when the preseason was so limited because you had to jump straight into the CONCACAF Champions League and a trip to take on Herediano. So you get past Herediano and just about. Then you face Monterey in the next round. And, and it was a turbulent time because that coincided with the start of MLS. It also coincided with injuries to George Bello and Franco Escobar, your right and left back. And an awful lot of the plans that were in place for Frank Tabor centered around those fullbacks and the way he wanted more of a narrow midfield and, and Joseph Martinez further forward, but he wanted the fullbacks to do an awful lot of work. And there's no one else really in the Atlanta United squad that can do what Franco Escobar and, and George Bello can do in terms of their athleticism, their raw athleticism, the up and down ability for 90 plus minutes. So he was thrown a spanner in the work straight away, but there's also the kind of stoic personality that Frank De Boer has that was an obstacle for a lot of the, especially the South American players, Dean, because they were used to the Tata approach. They were used to the arm around the shoulder and a bit of a laugh every now and then and that charismatic personality. And now you bring in a little bit more of a militant approach in Frank De Boer and it was a tough time for the team. But I think what you've seen, certainly in the last 15 to 20 days, five victories on the bounce for Atlanta United, including uh, Campione's Cup win, a wonderful victory at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, 3-2 over Club America. A first Campionis Cup victory for, for Major League Soccer. And then Atlanta United booked their place in the U.S. Open Cup final with a win in Orlando, which is a team they'll face this weekend in rivalry week. So I think that the, the tide has turned with this side and the feeling and the sensation around training even has shifted completely. And I think in many ways, Frank DeBoer has had to adapt to the style of play that the players want. Uh, which is going back a little bit to what we saw last year. As we said, it's rivalry week in MLS, some big-time matchups, and uh, Orlando is listed as your rival. I think most people think New York Red Bulls are, but based on proximity, they are. What's your take on this rivalry? It's been one-sided. I, I, I completely agree with you, by the way. When I think rivalry for Atlanta United, I think about the New York Red Bulls because a rivalry, in my mind, has to have incredible storylines on the field and it's been a one-way rivalry in favor of Atlanta United so far Portland's picked up one draw other than that Atlanta United's won every game Joseph Martinez had had a field day against Orlando every time he's played now he didn't play in the Open Cup semi-final but the five stripes still got it done uh, Martinez broke the MLS all-time goals, single-season goal-scoring record in Orlando. So he's got happy memories there when he scored his 28th goal last season there. Um, Atlanta United clicking at the right time. My only fear is fatigue. But if you look at the game against Portland on Sunday evening, it was a very late game, a 10 o'clock Eastern kickoff. In fact, it was 10.30 by the time the game actually started. And Atlanta United players were exhausted from that midweek game against Club America. Now they've got to go again on Friday night. So it's a, it's a tough one. It really is. But I think Atlanta United have such a wonderful momentum with them right now. And I think they'll go there and get the job done. What makes Mr. Martinez such a wonderful player? His drive to succeed is greater than any player I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And I speak to Dan Gargan, a former LA Galaxy and Chicago Fire defender, is my analyst with the Atlanta United broadcast. And Dan said Robbie Keane was a similar way with, uh, with LA when he was there. Has to score in training all the time. Will get royally annoyed if someone doesn't play him the right pass. And once he leaves that field, he's a jovial, lovable guy who doesn't necessarily want to go home and watch the game all the time. He wants to break away and do something else. But on the field, there's, there's an edge to Joseph Martinez. There's a willingness 
to succeed that oftentimes, quite honestly, it's, it's, it's difficult to replicate because, you know, some of these players that come over that have this great drive come from a situation and, and, and maybe a climate that is incredibly difficult and they have to succeed to provide for their family. And Joseph Martinez is, is, a, is, a, is a class story of a guy who went and played in Europe. And he's great for MLS because he didn't think Europe was all that. He played over in Switzerland. He played in Italy with Torino. Now, he was played out of position for me, he was played as a wide guy for Torino. But he comes to Major League Soccer now. He's absolutely loved in Atlanta. He, uh, you know, he's, he's scored more goals than any player in MLS history over three seasons. And he's about to hit 100 goals. You know, he, he's been ridiculous. And his finish over the weekend against Portland just was a microcosm of his entire career in that he took one touch and then the second touch bent it around the goalkeeper who then Steve Clark went and said what the F am I supposed to do the cameras picked it up perfectly <laughs> that is about all you can say is you, you try to figure out how to take care of Martinez it's almost impossible and obviously great success with Atlanta United 70,000 fans becoming routine quite often obviously Portland Seattle do well LA AFC, but not all the clubs do well. As you assess the league right now, you've got these teams that are blowing it out and some other teams that are, are lagging behind. What's your take, Kevin? You know, I think it's one of the, the problems with Major League Soccer in 2019, Dean, being absolutely honest with you, is that there's a divide amongst the owners. And with this single entity structure, unlike leagues around the world, you know, you, you, may, have, uh, you may have USL teams itching to come up and play in Major League Soccer that have wonderful ownership groups, and you know well uh, about those, that they don't have that opportunity to come up unless they can find this huge amount of money and prove to Donga or Major League Soccer that this is what this is what they have and they should be in Major League Soccer. But you have other owners within the league, and I, you know, I spent a lot of time in Chicago. I know what it's like with the Chicago Fire, and there's a new ownership group there along with Andrew Hopman who's helping out a little bit, and they're actually the third highest salary in Major League Soccer right now, collective salary. So they're, they're showing a little bit more ambition. But there's teams around MLS that don't show ambition, being absolutely honest. And that it percolates throughout the entire organization, and the fans know that. The fans know at the start of the year that they don't have it in them to, to, to win, let alone make the playoffs. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic right now because the last few teams to come into the league, Atlanta United for sure, I think LAFC have, have looked at Atlanta United and said, right, we're going to do the same thing. And that's what they've done. You know, 22 people involved in their ownership group that are spending money on top-class young players like Diego Rossi from Uruguay, you know. And it's, it's wonderful to see. And I hope it just pushes the other owners and Major League Soccer to say that we've got to keep up with Atlanta and LAFC because they've come in racing through the gates, as uh, have Seattle over the past few years. And they have new ownership there now, too. Portland as well as you mentioned so it, it's really important for the league if the league is to say as a single entity that the ownership groups are held to a high standard and they make sure that they invest in their squad and they invest in the community more importantly and that's probably going back to your question Dean is what's the secret sauce it's the community you walk around Atlanta and I'll take my son for a walk and I'm in Brookhaven Georgia right now and I'll take him for a walk and it's like I feel like it's every six or seven houses you pass will have an Atlanta United flag outside the house 
everybody's so proud of this team because they came out the gates really strong. Um, but even up in Minnesota, people have latched on and they didn't start very well. So it's, it's, it's just about the attitude of the team, I would think, and the investment overall in the community. And your take on St. Louis being added to MLS? Yeah, it's a curious one. I think there's a phenomenal soccer base, and there always has been in St. Louis, correct? I mean, this is something that you've, you've covered over the years, I'm sure, Dean, and you think about some of the great players that have played in MLS from St. Louis, uh, Steve Ralston, the Taylor Twelmans, all these guys that have, that have come through over there. And I know Dan Gargan, uh, my colleague, lives in St. Louis, and he runs a soccer school uh, for kids that has 5,000 kids in it. And he said the soccer community there is absolutely buzzing. So I, I would hope they'll latch on, and I would hope that it's a success. And I, and I think with the mindset there around the game of soccer, it should be. And it doesn't sound like they're done with just St. Louis. North Carolina has two teams in the mix, and Charlotte and Raleigh, Sacramento. There are other clubs that uh, want to go MLS as well. How much is too much? What's the best way to go about managing expansion? I think they have to they have to eventually decide, well, we're going to break it into two different leagues then, if that's the case. Do you know why, Dean? Because it's so hard for people to follow. If you, if you, if you go as far as, you know, you, you go as far as 30 teams, then you start to, to look at it and say, well, hang on a second, there's this market here. We should really have them involved. And I don't, I don't see a problem with adding markets. But eventually, you might say, right, we're going to have MLS 1 and MLS 2. And, and the benefits of being in MLS 1 will be the nationally televised games and there'll be, there'll be other incentives there too. But I think you have to introduce two different leagues and have the drama of, you know, you, we, we've all seen the images, I think, of Stu Holden, Kyle Martino, Steve Nash. They became part of the ownership group of Mallorca. And Mallorca were recently promoted to La Liga. And everybody kind of latched on to the images of Steve Nash and Stu Holden celebrating and everything that, you know, surrounding that great club coming back up to the top tier in Spain. And I think it'd be marvelous to see something like that in, in the U.S. But the structure has to be right. You, we can't have teams disappearing. And, and again, this is something, you know, Dean, you've been around U.S. soccer for a long time and, and you're, you're so clued in to the game here that we've seen too many teams disappear because of, well, financial financial difficulties and they can't survive if they don't have the fan base there so the structure has to be right and maybe it's simply an MLS 1 and an MLS 2 to start out and you have 40 teams 20 in each division but then you've got the drama of the promotion and, and maybe and this was my idea um, all along I'd hate, to, I'd hate to see them jump into a big time promotion relegation like we see over in England where it's three teams go up and three go down because MLS is not ready for that but maybe it's simply the bottom place team the wooden spoon team in MLS plays in a playoff against, say, the MLS 2 uh, top-tier team, and it's a home-and-away aggregate playoff, and the winner, stay, the winner plays in MLS 1. Maybe it's as simple as that. Who knows? But it, there's something has to happen because you can't have over 30 teams in one division. I think it's too complicated, and it's just difficult to follow for the fan base. Last time I had you on was right before the MLS Cup. They were down to four. You predicted both winners. You predicted the result in the MLS Cup. A little more pressure on you. I'm going to ask you to do it now much earlier than perhaps you anticipated. Who are going to be the final four? Who's going to win the MLS Cup? Okay, let's start with the East end, Dean. I think what you'll see is Atlanta United finishing first. I think momentum is obviously crucial in MLS. You don't want to back into the playoffs. Philadelphia Union under Jim Curtin, congratulations. They've had a great season so far, but I, I just can't see that continuing. And Atlanta go to Philadelphia in 11 days. 
uh, and that's a massive game in the Eastern Conference. So I'm going to pick Atlanta United to win the East, and I'm going to pick Atlanta United to win the Eastern Conference Championship too. I think a final against the New York Red Bulls will be will be the game that everyone will want to see there. Uh, and then in the West, you know, I, 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 I want to see LAFC Atlanta as the final because that's the showpiece. That's the, you know, the, the second season team. Like Atlanta winning it last year, that'll be LAFC this year. LAFC Atlanta played just a couple of weeks ago and it finished 4-3 in favour of LAFC and it was a marvellous game full of entertaining soccer so I, I would like to see that on the east or on the west excuse me the other team that's impressed me of late is Seattle I think Seattle looked like they're a side that are just starting to hit form at the right time again constantly producing great results out of the likes of Rui Diaz and Ladero Harry Ship, uh, former Notre Dame uh, player Harry Schiff has has been uh, tremendous of late. So I got to call a couple of games, Notre Dame games, with you, Dean Linky, and and he was playing back then. Kevin Egan is he great or what? Wonderful take, wonderful accent, wonderful demeanor, just a wonderful guy, Kevin Egan. All right, three in the books. Now we meet two more members of our 30 under 30 class. That after this message. Stay with Looking us. for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. What a great show. Anson Dorrance, the legend that is the head coach of UNC, former World champion with the U.S. Women's National Team, Erwin Van Bennekom, the new head coach at Indiana, who faces the Tar Heels tonight. I also want to thank Kevin Egan, the voice of Atlanta United, talking MLS Rivalry Week. And now we get to know not one, but two more members of our United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 class. And up first is Gabriel Colon. He's the Boys Development Academy staff head coach for Richmond United. He also works with the Richmond kickers and he joins me now Gabriel thanks for being with us thanks for having me Dean yeah Gabriel you come from Winter Park obviously you're enjoying yourself in Richmond a great city in fact uh, if you've been to Richmond it's hard not to like it and a city that keeps getting better and better but tell us about your path from Winter Park to Richmond what happened in between there yeah, so I'm originally from Orlando, Florida. I was born and raised in Florida. I went to Seton Hall University in South Orange, New Jersey for my college uh, career. And then after that, I joined the New York Red Bulls Academy to coach in their academy program, spent a year there, had the opportunity to go to Orlando City's academy program the year it was founded as an MLS club in 2015. And then after a year at Orlando City, I went to my hometown club, the Florida Rush Soccer Club. And kind of helped build the DA program, Development Academy program from the ground up there. And after three years there, Richmond United came calling, and I had an opportunity that I really wanted to take for the next step in my career. And right there in Richmond, you have two phenomenal clubs, the Richmond Strikers, the Richmond Kickers. Of course, the Kickers have the great pro club that, uh, boy, back in the day, they were winning a ton of USL titles as well. Just talk about that relationship, as I know both the Strikers and the Kickers are thought of very fondly in that area. 
I've only been here a couple months now, but you can see that this town really is behind the Richmond Kickers, and there's a huge fan base and a huge support for the professional club. Richmond United is essentially a partnership between the Kickers Professional Club and the large youth club Richmond Strikers in town. A few years back, they used to both have development academy programs on the boys' side, but then they decided to pool their resources together, and that's why it's called Richmond United. And so through Richmond United, we're able to serve the best boys' players in the Richmond area while also remaining relatively competitive with not only other development academy youth clubs, but the MLS academies as well. So that's a great sort of message about can't we all just get along, right, when you're talking about uh, that collaboration with the kickers and the strikers with the United, particularly at your level for boys' DA. That's important, right? It's beautiful to see. Jay Howell is the executive director for the strikers. Lee Kalashaw, the longtime kickers head coach, is now the executive director for the kickers. And going through the interview process with them and then meeting with the academy director as well, Sasha Gores, you could see that not only – they were great soccer minds, but also good people, and they really had the best of the Richmond community at heart, and that's what really convinced me to come and join the United. Well, following your career, and you did a great job breaking it down, it seems like you've got uh, sort of a white-hot focus on this DA system. Uh, what is it about the DA system that makes you know Gabriel Colon say, hey, I'm pretty good at this? Well, I'm not sure if it's necessarily the DA. I think it's more a focus on the age groups. I think the opportunity to work with young, growing men, particularly in the age groups I work in at U13 and 14, it gives you a special opportunity to really have a big impact on them, not only as players, but as human beings. Um, I'm sure we can all think to back when we were 13 and 14 and think about how you know, psychosocial maturity and spiritual development wasn't necessarily something that we had all experienced at that moment. And to be able to have an impact on these young men as they're going through really becoming their own person for the first time in their lives. For me, it's a special opportunity. Obviously, the DA is getting a lot of attention right now, some good, some not so good. What's your open take on U.S. soccer running the DA? I think anytime you are a governing body and you venture into the business side of sports, which the Development Academy at its core is a business it's important to take care of your membership, particularly those who have been with you from the beginning. And I think we're seeing a trend right now where some of those youth clubs that have been with the Development Academy since day one are feeling as if there are MLS academies that are being catered to more so than the youth clubs that have been there from the beginning. And I think U.S. soccer may in the future want to reach out to youth clubs and gain a little bit more perspective and feedback before they make big decisions like tiering the development academy at the older age groups without having a clear path for promotion, which I think is something that some of these youth clubs are struggling to grasp right now. And what about those people that made an impact on you that made you, in fact, say, hey, I want to be a coach? Are there some special mentors in your life? Yes, well, I w was lucky enough to play for a guy named Bill Buren who wrote the National Youth License course curriculum. And the confidence and the belief that he instilled in me as a player was something that really left an indelible impact um, on kind of my thoughts in regards to going into as a coach. And then when I became a coach, particularly some people at the New York Red Bulls that I can think of off the top of my head were Ricky King. Um, who is the director of coaching education there, and as well as a fellow player and somebody I've known for a while, Zach Harold. Um, 
then, you know, at Florida Rush, I was able to work with who I think are some of the best coaches in Florida, uh, Steve Sheehan and Peter Moore and Sean Murphy. Um, I know those are a lot of names, but I feel like it's right that they get, you know, the recognition they deserve for helping me build my career. Yeah, we're all about dropping names. Speaking of names, who is your assigned mentor as part of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 program? It is Neil Hole from Texas. Okay. And he is part of the United Soccer Coaches staff. All right, excellent. Have you been able to have a few conversations with him? I have. Many coaches are very knowledgeable, but beyond his knowledge of the game, Neil's really been able to help me see how to build a career in this industry and kind of how to value yourself and to make sure you put yourself in the right positions to get to where you end up wanting to go. And I'd like to thank Neil for that in this public forum because without that, I would struggle at times, I I think. Well, being 30 under 30, you're still a youngster, but I'm going to go ahead and ask this anyway. What's been your best memory so far as a coach anywhere you've been? What What is one special moment that uh, sticks right up there at the top? This is very difficult. I can think of a few. I would say when I was accepted into the Coach Apprentice program as part of the U.S. Soccer Development Academy while I was at Florida Rush was a, a proud moment for myself and my family uh, being I believe at the time the youngest DA coach in the country and being able to coach in that league was something I had always strived for when I first started coaching. Uh, beyond that, getting the job at the New York Red Bulls uh, was a special moment for me and um, being able to go to Orlando City and help build an MLS academy from the ground up in my hometown was special as well. This is a question you may have heard me ask some of the other members of 30 Under 30, but with the crystal ball in front of you, what might it tell us about you and what you're doing in 10, 15 years from now? Well, I like to take things step by step, and I need to, now that I've gotten my B license and my premier diploma, I think the U.S. Soccer A license is most important, but I've always had the ambition to go to Europe um, and to get my coaching badges there and hopefully give myself an opportunity to be able to coach there. I think that's a barrier that not many American coaches have been able to break, and I think it would be great not only for me as a coach, but spiritually to go and live in a new culture and experience soccer in a different, in a different country and, and maybe in a different perspective. Because you were such a young coach with the DA and because uh, you were doing that at a time where we had to sit back and kind of catch our breath a little bit because the men did not qualify for that most recent World Cup, in your view, can the U.S. ever win a World Cup and what might it take for them to do that? That's a, that's a big question, Dean. Um, I think they can. I think clearly with a player, young player like Christian Pulisic that's coming through, I think most of us who've studied the game and have watched him play understand that we have an extremely special young player on our hands that can make the difference in big games. So then the question I think becomes is how can we build the rest of the talent pool around him in order to make sure that when we get into these big moments that we can support him the best way we can. Um, and I think the, the tiering of the DA system that has come out this year is a step towards that in the sense that making meaningful competition for some of the better academy teams in the country is is productive. But I also think there are some barriers to entry with regards to the way MLS is set up from a financial standpoint, whether it be their salary cap system or their recruitment of younger players from outside of America. I think it is extremely difficult right now for the young American to break into MLS first teams. 
And until we're able to change that, you're going to see, at least I believe, some of these top young players like Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, try to get to Europe as quick as they can. Phenomenal answer. I promised you fluffy little questions, and I went opposite of that, uh, but you're ready for it anyway, Gabriel. I appreciate that. Uh, here's a fluffy one, though. Uh, as you think about uh, continuing to you know, build yourself as a coach, what has United Soccer Coaches meant to you, particularly maybe hanging out at a convention and networking and getting to know and share ideas with other coaches? United Soccer Coaches, for me, has been crucial for my career development the first two coaches I took in 2004 courses I took in 2014 were the national diploma which was out in Long Island and then I took the advanced national later that year in Vermont and this summer recently I took the premier diploma and that was with Dave Sayward and Paul Marco and the ability to pick the brains and be around and experience how some of the top coaches in the country work is something that beyond X's and O's, beyond the technical and tactical side of the game, seeing their dedication and their commitment and the way they approach their work has something that's really impacted me. And that's all due to United Soccer Coaches. So a big thank you to USC. Gabriel Colon, well done. I'm a big fan of Jay Howe. I've known him forever. My son and his son started uh, in grade school together. He, as you know, used to live down in the Triangle and like Chris Fryant and Lee Kalashow, all those guys, great people in Richmond. Matt Spear, everywhere you turn, they're great people. So give them our best. You're in a good spot there, Gabriel, and uh, thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Dean. Hard not to like Gabriel, and if you've been around United Soccer coaches even for a second you'll recognize the Farnsworth name that's a legacy family with United Soccer Coaches they are amazing including Kara Farnsworth who is also a member of the 30 under 30 and like so many members of our 30 under 30 program she's a head coach at a college we'll learn about Kara Farnsworth when we return this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help customers save their time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast as we get to know yet another outstanding member of United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 program. Super excited to talk to Kara Farnsworth, who Hard to believe, folks, as we've been getting to know a lot of our members and they're getting their breakthrough year this year as a head coach. Well, Kara Farnsworth, at 24, was named the head coach of Columbia International University. It's NAIA. It's also NCCAA. She is the women's soccer coach there now in her fifth year. She's actually on the practice field right now as we speak. And as I said going to break she's the daughter of Jeffrey Farnsworth who was the awards manager for 25 years for the United Soccer Coaches been a member well over 30 years amazing family as well her brother Christian sister Bethany her mom who we all know is a true angel has helped out forever I mean this is a family fully committed to United Soccer Coaches that's the best way to say it right Kara oh absolutely and it's always been that way I mean your dad I think passed that on the way he probably taught you how to play soccer he also said hey you got to get involved with United Soccer Coaches right? 
Of course. He started coaching me when I was 12 years old. He started working with my club team. Um, but then I think even before that, he was um, hiring Chris, Bethany, and I just to um, work help with the awards and get them ready for um, just the convention heading up as well. Well, and you know as well as anybody, the United Soccer Coaches, they love your dad. He's won the Robbie Robinson Award. He's probably won several other awards that we don't even know about because, I mean, he is held in such high regard. You feel that, right? When you're there, you know that people love your dad. Oh, absolutely. He, uh, I think that the United Soccer Coaches is such a close-knit family that um, these are people that I've known almost my entire life. Um, and just, yeah, it's every, every convention going and seeing um, just the community um, is huge, and so it is. It's, it's a very tight-knit family, people that I've known my whole life. Well, you also have known that, uh, you know, a few years ago they launched this 30 Under 30 program. You've been there backstage seeing those t- 15 men and 15 women recognized every year as part of the National Awards ceremony on that Friday night. So i got to believe for you, particularly being hired at 24 years old to be a head coach at a college, it was a no-brainer for you to apply for the program, right? <laughs> Yeah, I know that the, there's a, a great benefit of being in the 30 under 30. I mean, having a, a mentor to um, be able to um, work with you and, and help um, just in, in the different things that are kind of going on in your team um, and just have somebody to talk to you about that as well as the educational opportunities and just the community that comes within the 30 under 30, um, getting to know more people in the game that, um, yeah, I think that's it's a huge part of it. And who's your mentor with the 30 under 30 program, Kara? Kathy Braun, she's the head women's soccer coach at Colgate. Yeah, I know her well. She used to always be a part of the uh, then-named NSCAA Fox Soccer Games of the Week, and she's all about uh, helping young coaches, right? She's been such a huge blessing, and just being able to talk through uh, different just issues that I've had in my team, and um, we sat down and spent a couple hours together at the convention as well, and, and she's just she's been great to work with. Carrie, you're well aware that at 24, a lot of young men and women are still figuring out uh, what kind of gas they have to put in their car. <laughs> you knew that uh, you were ready to be a head college coach. That's pretty young. What was it about yourself inside that said, you know what, I can handle this? I think for me, um, I had a, a great opportunity to work um, fresh out of college at a Division II program um, where it was... Um, incredibly competitive within the conference that we were playing in. And um, my my head coach very early on had a, had a family emergency that she had to leave um, our, our training for a couple days. And I was able to work with this team. And, and I just I, I was able to grow a lot of confidence very quickly. Um, and I just fell in love with um, being able to work with these young women. Um, I I was knew I was ready to move on. Um, it was it was in a, a good situation, but um, I had a, a, a close friend that knew about the job at Columbia International and looking for somebody to start the women's soccer program. So I actually had a full year to recruit um, before my team kicked off for the first time. So I was hired in 2014, but then again had a full year to recruit. Um, and we kicked off for the first time in 2015. Um, so that was a huge part of it as well, having that little bit of time to kind of ease in um, rather than just going in um, guns blazing, ready for a, a, a first game. Um, and we were, I was also able to then create the culture that I wanted 
and so I wasn't necessarily fighting something else um, that was already existing. We got to create exactly what we wanted on the field. So I know it's a major faux pas to talk about age when you're going through the interview <laughs> process. Uh, that's a, a big no-no. But obviously, mm-hmm. Columbia International had to be aware that uh, you were just a, a young pup. How did uh, they <laughs> deal with that part of it, and how did you answer questions about that part of it? So up until when I when I spoke at, with Columbia International and the AD at the time, Kim Abbott, I had interviewed at a couple different positions up until that point, a couple assistant coaching positions as well as a couple head coaching. And the head coaches, it all came back on the same thing, is we want somebody with a little more experience, which experience I think a lot of times equals age, um, and which is understandable. Um, at 24, I don't blame somebody for not wanting to hire a 24-year-old as a head coach. Um, but with that, I had, um, the, so at this point, I had interviewed with, with Kim Abbott over the phone, and I finally asked her if, I, if she thought I was too young. Um, just because that was, again, the, the story I kept hearing was, you're, you're too young, we need more experience, we, we'd love to hire you someday, but we want you to um, have a little bit more experience before you come to us. And so Kim, I asked Kim, and said, do you think I'm too young or do I not have enough experience for you? Before I got my hopes up or I really started to go through the process with her, she turned it back on me and said, do you think you're too young? And um, my response to her was, no, I'm ready to be a head coach. I'm ready to lead your program. And, and I didn't know really what that meant at the time. I don't know if I was trying to make myself believe that or her, but I, um, I went with confidence and hoping for the best, and um, she, she loved the answer. So it was her taking a, a, a chance on me and an opportunity and giving me the opportunity to, to see what I could do, which I think was, was huge. What's the best way to describe how these first five years have gone? It has been an absolute whirlwind. Um, and to having uh, nothing, having no athletics really at the university, um, it was having to challenge and build a lot of culture um, with a lot of odds against us all the time. Um, so it's, it's been an absolute battle, uh, fighting left and right, but the result has been absolutely incredible. Going back to the notion of taking over at 24, we've all read books. We've all seen the movie Mean Girls. We know that sometimes girls can be tough, you know, and you're just a couple years older than the senior class right there. How did you make sure that you were able to, for lack of a better word, draw the line or, you know, make sure that uh, they knew you're in charge, you're the boss, even though you're almost their age? (laughs) Um, I think it took a little bit of making sure that I separated very early on, um, but also the girls that I recruited, uh, making sure that they understood that I was 24, 25 years old, and um, to bring young women in that were looking for that type of mentorship and coach. Um, so somebody that necessarily was looking to come in and run the show or leave um, wasn't, wasn't going to fit in with what we were trying to do culturally. Um, so making sure that I planned and recruited for that as well. Once they got here, I think being able to show respect, show that I'm young, I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm going to own up to them, um, and they are too. I think with young women, it was an advantage for me to be so young with starting this program, um, just because I did just go a couple years in front of them, I'm still trying to figure it out as I go, and they're entering into a time that they are figuring it out as well. Um, and so to let them know they're not alone in it, um, that I'm not alone in it, that we're in this together and building together, I think was a huge part of 
um, building that respect. Well, Columbia is a great city. I mean, right down the road, you've got uh, Shelly and Jamie Smith doing an incredible job with the South Carolina women's program. Mark Burson, a legend, with the men's program. Uh, obviously, it's a great place to live and, and play soccer. But knowing that, uh, as we've already covered, uh, you've been to so many United Soccer Coaches Convention. You talked about your mentor, Kathy Braun. What is uh, your goals for 10, 15 years from now when, you know, really you'll still be a young pup even at that point? <laughs> I really have a strong passion for coaching education. Um, that My background is in elementary and special education, and I have a master's of education as well. Um, so I just love to teach. I love to teach the game to my girls. I have several of my players um, that have now gone through the program that are coaching. Um, and so I just love that. I love being able to give them different ideas and teach them about the game, and I would love to see that with coaches someday as well. Again, I know that I'm young, um, but being able to pour into people is something that I'm passionate about. And um, just being able to extend that beyond just players, but into coaches as well, I think that would be something that I'd absolutely love to do. United Soccer Coaches means so much to you. Why is that, Kara? It's such a, a community. Um, it's a place that people can go to share ideas and grow um, as coaches. And it is a commitment to, to and their commitment to building culture, to seeing kids fall in love with the game. And there's so many life lessons that come from the game of soccer. And it's where we learn um, determination and fight and um, commitment and uh, and it's 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 some life is about so much about overcoming obstacles that come in front of you and I think soccer is so much a part of that and we get to learn how to do that as athletes. I think with the United Soccer Coaches, it's a place that people can come, coaches can come together to help one another do that better with their athletes. Great answer. Kara Farnsworth in her fifth year now as the head women's soccer coach at Columbia International University, NAIA, in Columbia, South Carolina, and part of a wonderful family that is so dear to the United Soccer Coaches. Congrats on being a member of the 30 Under 30, and good luck as you approach year number five at Columbia International University. Thank you very much, Dean. Thanks to Kara, her family, her dad, Jeffrey, and uh, her brother and sister and her mom and the great work they do with Steve Veal. I want to thank Michael Knipper and Sean Chevrolet, also with United Soccer Coaches, and all of our great guests, along with Kara Farnsworth, Anson Dorrance, the legend that is at UNC, Erwin Van Bennecom, the former Duke superstar assistant, now the top man at Indiana and their women's program, Kevin Egan, the voice of Atlanta United, does so much great work also for CNN World Sport and TNT, and also Gabriel Cologne, another member of our 30 Under 30 program. For United Soccer Coaches, I'm Dean Linke. See you next week. Thanks for listening.